Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Trish Wood on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hi, everybody. This is Trish Wood on TNT Radio, and I'm just giving you fair warning here. I seem to be existing at this moment in time in the middle of a construction zone. Above my studio, there's something going on, so we're going to hope and pray that um, that it doesn't get too out of hand, but it can. This is life in the city right now. Everything is under construction constantly, and it's not like there's anybody in City Hall who's saying, um, maybe we shouldn't make noise on Saturday because people want to have reasonable lives, but they don't do that. They don't care about us anymore. We know that. They could care less or couldn't care less, I guess is the, the actual phrase. So I'm a little burned out because I had a super busy week. I was in Ottawa covering the trial again of uh, Tamara Leach and Chris Barber, the two leaders, two of the leaders of the, the trucker freedom convoy here. Um, and I'll give you an update on that, kind of a first person from being in the courtroom. The major takeaway from that trial is that it's really, really boring. The Crown has not figured out what his narrative of his case is. And as you probably know from following OJ and other big trials, um, every prosecutor, or in this case, Crown attorney, has to have a story of the case. They have to have figured out what happened and how to tie what happened, i.e. the crime, to the people they're prosecuting. And our Crown Tim Radcliffe in Ottawa doesn't seem to have figured that out. And the indication of that is that um, the evidence seems to not be in any way incriminating of bad things, right? Inculpatory is the word. Um, For instance, they will play this police body cam footage of the protesters not doing anything wrong. Maybe they're chanting even love over fear. Ooh, pretty terrible kids. And even the judge is looking at them like, what, what are you doing? And, and in one of these body cam videos, even the, um, the cops were actually shown beating a protester in the head. And the judge kind of remarked on that. Now, now let me remind you that evidence is being led by the crown attorney. So that was weird. And then on, I think, Tuesday of last week, they brought in one of the police who brought down uh, the convoy, you know, when they canceled it after the Emergencies Act, and there were those terrible photographs of police in kind of black block outfits hiding their identities, etc., and almost with masks over their faces, very scary looking, I'm sure that's the point. And they brought in a guy from the Surete du Quebec who um, was talking about facing off with the convoy, he showed some body cam footage of that too. And then, and nothing was really happening, right? These protesters were singing, Oh Canada, and uh, being totally peaceful. Most of them kind of military age guys. At that point, Tamara and Chris were in jail as well. So the relevance of what happened regarding the criminal charges against them is, is still kind of unclear. But in the middle of it, he talks about how they broke for lunch. They went away from this terribly scary demo to head over to the Chateau Laurier, which is a very posh, probably the poshest hotel in Ottawa. It's one of our old railway railway hotels for lunch, not to eat 
lunch there, but to eat the lunch they brought, he made clear, because lunch there is expensive. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, the defense counsel for Tamara, a guy named Lawrence Greenspawn, said, okay, just clarify that in the middle of this big takedown of these scary protesters, you guys broke for lunch? Like, it, nothing is really going the way the Crown I think wants it to and, and as i said at the beginning of this part of that problem is that we don't have a theory of what his case against the the two people is i know the charges are things like mischief which is a very broad definition of things but um yeah so that's interesting everybody's talking about that i know on friday i was not there friday yesterday because i'd come back to toronto they had the two ic for the mayor of ottawa former mayor of Ottawa, Jim Watson on. And Jim Watson was no friend of the convoy, let me tell you. He's the one who had the um, GoFundMe. Remember, they were making millions of dollars on the GoFundMe. So many Canadians supported them. And it was the mayor of Ottawa, in fact, who got that thing shut down with false information that there was evidence of violence, which has since, we knew it was wrong at the time, has been, since been debunked a jillion times over, but that's how everybody was rolling, making stuff up about them, and then it gets debunked later. Who cares, right? It's the damage is done. So his 2IC was on the stand. I don't know what happened uh, with him or what the point of that was. I know that they that, that Mayor Watson had a very negative attitude, but given that that was not borne out by the facts, they certainly can't be testifying to those things under oath either, can they? Because that would be perjury, wouldn't it? So that was kind of what my week was about. And then we had here also, for those of you not in Canada, we had this big million person march for kids, which was a pushback against gender ideology in the schools. Quite a big pushback in many, many cities across the country. And it exposed something really terrible about our teachers unions and other unions up here. They are all in on this and they were having meetings which were taped in a surreptitiously in a zoom call that some of us got our mitts on planning their counter protests against the parents and others who don't want this heavy duty gender ideology with the accompanying uh, kind of uh, cartoonish pornography that, that i've seen it it's awful involving all kinds of sexual practices that i didn't even know about until i was 25 uh, for kids right and um the language they were using, and, and this is really something I want to talk to Karen about because she's a writer and she understands the importance of language and framing uh, as good as anybody, and that's that the protests by the parents were categorized as hateful, they were categorized as transphobic, this was a hate march by hateful people who want to own their children, their religious fanatics. None of that is actually true. And the conundrum for the unions and the supporters of, of radical gender ideology in school who are on the left, the far left, I would say, farther left than I was, and I was pretty far left when I was left. So they're like really far left now. Um, they were actually pushing back against people who were Muslim. These protests, some of them were led by Muslim parents who were saying no. So you've got this weird... It's a real challenge for those folks now, because normally if you went after those people, you'd be saying, 
oh, well, they were Islamophobic. Remember after 9-11, if you said a single bad thing ever about hijab wearing or things maybe we could talk about sensibly, uh, you were Islamophobic. They shut it right down. Um, but now those same people are going after Muslim parents in Canada with these awful, awful epithets around hateful behavior, et cetera, et cetera. So that's going to be a really kind of interesting intersectional conundrum for those people because they can't get their story straight about who's a bad person and who's not a bad person. A bad person is anybody who's opposing what they're in favor of in that moment. And they will go as far as they can with the help of the media who were framing the parental protests as transphobic, um, homophobic protests. And there was none of that going on. In fact, some of the people involved were gay and not loving the extreme trans ideology becoming part of the gay movement. So, so that was a big deal. So we had two interesting protests in Canada on things that I think people around the world are really looking at. Um, and then just, just, just one quick story for me about coming home. I came back on Wednesday night late. I had to go to a big event and, and there's a really interesting thing at the train station here. And that is that they still have taxi stands. So you step out of your the building where the trains pull in. It's an old, vintage, beautiful building like many of the train stations in, in Canada are because the Canadian Rail Service is what built the country. I think Gordon Lightfoot sang about that. And um, into a sea of cabs ready and waiting to whisk you away to your destination. And, and I realized how much I, I miss taxi culture in this city. I... When I was at CBC 30 years ago, I took a cab to work every morning. I knew the drivers. I knew who their kids were. We always stopped at Tim's and got a double-double coffee, and I'd light up a player's light and sit in the back seat and feel like a queen on my way to work in the morning, and that's gone. You can't hail taxis here anymore. Uber has pretty much wormed its way in and taken over. And if you think about that, that's awful because – Cab driving in this city and many others, New York and Chicago and many others, was a way for blue-collar people to bump up into the middle class. You could make decent money if you were prepared to work hard. A lot of these guys sent their kids to uni, and I know that because we talked about it. Me in the back seat of those cabs morning after morning. And that was erased. That was erased by our rush to embrace another app or new technology that doesn't really make our lives better and makes a lot of people's lives worse, but it makes a whole bunch of people in California rich. So I felt pretty nostalgic about that, getting a cab ride. And then I came out of the event. There were no cabs because you can't hail them. So I had to call a you-know-what, which I didn't want to do, but I had to to get home. So that was my week. I want to talk about Russell Brand, but I'm going to do that with Karen Hunt, who is my guest today. Lucky us for the the full two hours. You know, Karen, I'm going to ask a really self-aggrandizing question. On my other show, were we one of the first people to interview you when you started your Substack? You were the first person ah! <laughs> to interview me. Yeah, I've said it, I, and I've said it before. Um, yes, and I remember I was so nervous with that interview. I was sort of trying to set everything up perfect, and and there was something with the sound, and and I was thinking, oh, I didn't do this right, and you know. But you were fantastic. I had such a great time, and uh, you, were, you it was brilliant. And and I well, realized, I, I mean. 
I'm a quite quiet person. I'm not actually a big talker, but I realized I really enjoyed having these types of conversations. So yeah, it was great. Thank well, you know you. what happened? Oh, look, I'm not looking for thanks. I'm, I mean, thank you, because um, that's a, we should talk about that for a minute, because during that period of time when you first came on on the show, there were very few people saying what you were saying, what I was saying, what Ann Bauer was saying, all these really smart people. I was finding them on Twitter. I was finding them on Substack. And, and that's kind of how it happened. It was super organic because the people who had very high profiles were saying really stupid things all of a sudden. I, I couldn't believe it. There was nobody to book for the show. So I had to kind of organically find people who were maybe less high profile, right? And and just go based on what I knew you were thinking and saying and writing. And so that was kind of a gift for me because I met these really great people. Yeah, that was wonderful. That was wonderful. And for me, you know, I had been canceled way back in 2006, you know, a long time ago, it was nothing new to me to have that happen. So, um, so it was, uh, and I was a, basically a nobody, I was a nobody. I mean, I wasn't a big journalist. I hadn't done it. I was just somebody, you know, who had had a lot of experiences, who was thinking deeply about these issues and, and a writer. I had always been a writer for a long time, but certainly would never have considered myself any type of a journalist, you know? So. Yeah. 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 Well, but you're a thinker. You're a thinker and you're a writer. And that's like we can't have all these big categories now because the journalists aren't doing journalism anyway. They're doing no. something else, aren't they? It's yeah. terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> so let's just start by talking about Russell Brand. Um, I have to kind of examine my own feelings about it. I feel, and I'm not like a huge Russell Brand fan. I think he's really smart, but I'm not, I don't watch his stuff. I find his energy kind of off putting a bit, but, but he's smart. I think he's on the right side of just about every issue. And I don't like to see people being railroaded in this way. I had a big, I made a big effort on, on Kavanaugh too, because I didn't believe what they were, what, what was being said about him. And I really, as a woman can get my back up when people start this stuff and it doesn't have evidentiary credibility. Mm -hmm. Tell me what, what your response to it was. It's just, we have seen this over and over again. And it's amazing that people still just keep jumping on these bandwagons of, you know, of enjoying there, there's a type of a really unpleasant, nasty enjoyment in seeing people be brought down. And mm -hmm. so uh, on either side, it doesn't matter, they'll seize on on a person and, you know, the and henpeck them to death, basically. So I think that's what's happening to Russell Brand. And and I mean, no doubt he probably did. So, he, well, he has admitted he he's not proud of his life, his previous life. But um, you know, he was embraced at that time by the liberal media, and uh, turned a blind eye to it. And now he's being attacked. And of course, there are reasons why that's happening. It doesn't excuse his behavior. We don't know. You know, there there's been no. Uh, we don't know what happened. You yeah. know, it, it, there's just things that are being said at this point. Um, so, but, you know, certainly the timing is very suspicious. <laughs> well, and you know what else they did? If you have a chance to actually think about it, there's a whole bunch of things that are annoying, but one of them is that it's a big mushy blob. So they're kind of accusing him of being a bit of a bastard uh, with women, right? Which is not illegal. 
and not even really immoral given that he's now sober and has apparently conquered his sex addiction and is living a pretty wholesome life. Do we ever offer those people redemption? Of course we do. So if it's just bad behavior, like not calling in the morning and being too pushy and all the things he's being accused of, uh, that's one thing. But they've got a rape allegation in there too. So that now is the criminality part of it, right? But what they've done is they didn't stick to and I might have done that if I was the journalist on, on that story, especially given that the women did not want to show their faces and come forward. The rape allegation is the one that rises to the level of criminality. That's the one they should have focused on and tried to find as much information. The other stuff, which I think that they probably thought gave the rape allegation credibility because he was... You know, he's what we used to call in my day a buccaneer. You know, these <laughs> guys in rock bands or war photographers that all the girls think is, you know, you know who I mean, the kind of, that kind of guy, right? They get a lot of action. They treat women badly. They frequently drink too much and they never call in the morning. So you shouldn't be mucking around with them anyway. But um, it looks like they threw the other stuff that's not criminal, just distasteful in to buttress the rape charge. And that also deserves, I think, in, in my view, some scrutiny. Uh, we're at break time. I, I want to talk to you a little bit more about this because Rose McGowan, interestingly, has come out um, and said some, I thought, really uh, brave things that she probably, people won't like her for. So let's go to a break. We'll be back in a minute with Karen Hunt. This is TNT Radio. Patrick Henningsen on TNT Radio. Justin Trudeau has really put his foot in it. This is a guy that likes to dress in blackface, uh, not just once, not just twice, but often. Uh, and he kind of campaigned as an anti-racist, woke prime minister. You figure it out. It doesn't make any sense, but it's Canada, so we'll give it a wide berth, let's say. But uh, he's declared war in India, which is kind of amusing. Uh, so Justin Trudeau showing his, I don't know, maybe he's wanting to kind of express more alpha a male kind of characteristics uh, as he's on his way out really a power he's 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 living on borrowed time there uh, in Ottawa but uh, yeah he's declared war in India it's not a good move really for Trudeau and he'll watch him sink in the quicksand uh, of his own making on this Patrick Henningsen on today's news talk TNT radio when the forgotten poor are in need of healing they wait for a ship unlike any other. Mercy Ships, a floating hospital staffed by volunteers, heroes of mercy who donate their time to save lives. Every human has the right to have a place at the table of the human race. If you could just see the smiles that you get when lives have been changed, then it would make it all worth it. To learn more about Heroes of Mercy, go to mercyships.org. If you're talking about it, we're talking about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. It's Trish Wood. I'm back with Karen Hunt. And I just want to say that I, I said this last week. Um, after I first heard the little PSA there for mercy ships, hospital ships, I actually investigated how do you get on that? Because I love being at sea. It's a favorite thing of mine. And I thought, what, I could go and be their PR person or something like that. And it's a, a two-year commitment, and they travel around doing surgeries on kids. And I think it would be very fulfilling, except I couldn't take my dog, and probably my husband wouldn't like it very much. But if I was dogless and single, I would be <laughs> shipping out with them. I think it's a really good organization. That, that might be the thing for me to do then. <laughs> 
<laughs> we'd go together. And dogless and single. <laughs> yeah, we'd go together. Okay, Rose began. So she is kind of in my camp. Uh, she's saying we got it. We're going to we're grown up human people, and if we're going to make these allegations against men, we have to show our face and say our name and actually do it. I'm just wondering what you think about that because it's not going to do her any favors with the Me Too people, right? Well, let's. I mean, the Me Too people, please. I mean, um, and, and I mean that's all well and good to say show your face. So we don't know this woman and what. You know, I wouldn't like to even make some sort of a judgment of this woman at this point, you know, uh, until we have more information. I mean, and that's that's yeah. the thing. We are we have been conditioned uh, most, you know, most people have been conditioned now to just react in a very emotional way. We're just being led around by our emotions, you know, up and down, left and right, every which way you could ever imagine. People are, you know, the, the next the next story, this is the story now and it will disappear. I, I, I compare it to, I, I think about Andrew Tate, you know, we compare these two men. Um, Andrew Tate was, was interviewed, you know, Tucker Carlson doesn't just interview anyone. You know, and he chose to interview Andrew Tate yeah. and sort of, you know, elevated him to some sort of a position as a voice for, for men. And he is in that place, actually, that they're, they are accusing <laughs> Russell Brand yeah. of once being. And yet he, you know, and certainly he's on this sort of this on this trial in Romania, but he's sort of being presented by the right as some sort of a, you know, face of, of, male, of male machoism, the way that men are supposed to be. So it's very confusing. And I think that it's meant to be confusing yes. um, to people. And so, uh, you know, the story of Russell Brand is more than just, you know, I think attacking him uh, because he is this, uh, you, you know, because of what he's saying that is so dangerous. I think there's a whole point in all of this to make people very feel very extremely unbalanced so that it's impossible. You know, if you start thinking too deeply about these issues, it, it's, it's, very, um, uh, it's very disturbing, you know, because yeah. you start wondering about too many things. So, so people don't want to do that. They just want to go along with these waves of emotion that they are being led 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 on, and and that's that's really unhealthy for society. Well, it's destabilizing, isn't it? You're you're so right about that because I was on a little bit of a, you know, an, an angry jag about Tucker interviewing Andrew Tate. I mean, I I was like, okay, if I miss something here, I admire Tucker Carlson deeply. I think he's a pretty honest human. Um, and then I went and I researched Andrew Tate, and and with Andrew Tate, it's not there. There's no question that he 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 women were turning tricks for him, and and that, so that's a pimp. We don't like that, um, and that they were manipulated and maybe beaten even to be like. And and I, look, I'm a big believer in redemption. I, I am, and if he wanted to cop to all of it, that apparently is on videotape and say. You know, I was a jerk. I, I don't do that anymore. I blah blah blah. Then I, I feel everybody gets a second chance, even if they're terrible people. They can still have that. But but I don't I don't get the sense that he necessarily even acknowledges fully what was going on. And and yet, if I say anything like that on Twitter, I'm getting off Twitter. Well, I, I can't get off Twitter, but I would have. <laughs> People it's really, I get attacked by men who think I'm some wild feminist man hater. I'm like totally not. 
I, I think Jordan Peterson's cool. And I, you know, I, I could go with Andrew Tate if the facts weren't telling me that he really is kind of a jerk, like a more than a jerk, more than a jerk. Yeah, more than a jerk. I mean, we've all run into men like that, haven't we? I mean, they, you know, his whole thing, and and this is the terrible thing is that a big, a big car, a fast car, a, a woman on each arm, you know, uh, this is this is the, and and somehow these guys think that all women just go gaga over that, and that's really the hilarious thing about it is like, no, yeah. <laughs> most of us don't fall for that, you know, but they're in this mentality poor guys thinking and, and the and the kind of guys that he appeals to are, are really, you know, a lot of losers who are looking who he's able to take advantage of and take their money. That's how he got rich, taking money from these people. So that's what I think is interesting comparing that to Russell Brand, who has in fact, uh, you know, uh, Andrew Tate has never apologized. He's never said, you know, there, that as we talk about redemption and Russell Brand has, he's admitted his yeah. fault, admitted that he was a jerk. I mean, he, and, and if anyone knows an addict, what, what a person is capable of in their addiction is not, you know, it's not who they are when they come out of that addiction, no. you know? And so this is a, this is a, a great, um, uh, you know, again, sort of just pushing us into this, what I say, this sort of these extremist camps where we must identify with extreme views on everything. Like yeah. you say, to, to bring up a logical, especially as a woman, to bring up something logical and say, wait a minute, let's look at the facts of this, um, just, just um, angers people no end because that doesn't satisfy that immediate emotional need that they have for some sort of revenge or retribution or proving that they are wrong and I'm right. You know, that's the whole thing now. You know, they're wrong, I'm right. It's hard to live in that too, like to just navigate that sort of every day because I'm, well, both of us are sort of in the information business. So we can't extricate ourselves from it. You know, we have to know what the current debate is about and what are the nuances of that. And if I, and I, I know that you're like me because you do deep research. If I'm holding a position, I go back and check and check, especially on things like Ukraine, where I made a little tweet this morning. I probably shouldn't have hashtagged it, but but you know, Zelensky is in Ottawa, and 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 Trudeau is hugging, and our, you know, that 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 awful Christia Freeland who did the bank account freezing against the truckers is a terrible, terrible person, swooned and fell into his arms like he was George Clooney or something. I mean, what the hell? So I and and the media up here, the big some of the big voices were cheering on. I mean, we're still cheering Zelensky. I mean. 250,000 dead. Seymour Hirsch said this week the war is lost and everybody knows it's lost. We're still shoveling money. The, the, um, the, the you know, the, the, the injuries, this is what nobody talks about in war, but specifically Ukraine, like this is a war based on explosions. So we're talking about limbless young men. I mean, that's, that's what it, it is like a dystopian nightmare over there. And we've got all the legacy media in Canada cheering on and our politicians are falling into Zelensky like he's Churchill. I mean, it's just gross. So anyway, sorry, I went on a bit long there, but I am upset about yeah. Ukraine. I tweeted about it politely 
and and I was attacked. The attack is still ongoing. And what's interesting about the attacks is that I hate to say this to you, but that they're saying I must be a Putin stooge. I mean, is oh, that not still? Oh yeah, and it, like is that? <laughs> and I'm saying, it. well, yeah, and I'm going back to like 2014, and then my dad. Blah, 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 I'm trying to do all the stuff I research. Uh-uh. They don't hold their views because they're smarter than we are. They hold those views because they're not smart. And they're resorting to a default attack, which is that I watch RT, which I don't, that I have a thing for Putin, which is absurd. I mean, it's just ridiculous, but that's what what they do. Yeah, Yeah, and uh, I mean, again, yeah, the facts don't matter. But actually, the war has been a success. It's been a great success, and it's, it's achieved what it was supposed to do for the people who initiated it and for, yeah. you know for the for the companies and for the billionaires who are even closer to becoming trillionaires in their little battle amongst themselves to see who can be the richest man in the world and um, you know t- did a lot for for so for you know I mean to bringing bringing uh, Europe to its knees which was a big you know goal of the United States and uh, you know and and sort of all of that you know building up more and more uh, arms you know against the the mm-hmm. evil of the I mean I wrote I was writing about this long ago I wrote quite a number of pieces and I, I wrote something about like the splinter net this is quite a while ago a year maybe a year and a half ago and how you know this division between East and West and um, all of these things that, that have happened because of the war that have created more reasons why, um, you know, the, the Western powers that be can justify their behavior, basically. Exactly. That's exactly my understanding of what's going on. I mean, I, I, I've spent a lot of time talking to Colonel McGregor. I've been reading a lot of Cy Hirsch's stuff who said America blew mm-hmm. up the Nord Streams. and. Yeah. Now he's saying the war is lost, and and that side of it, I, I believe Colonel McGregor. He's been right about everything, and he said from the beginning they can't win this, and that there were uh, reported eight year or eight months ago, a year ago, by Agence France Press that there were high level talks going on that it was you know Putin wasn't being too much of a, an aggressor in the talks. There was a maybe a path to some kind of uh, peace, official peace talks, and Biden uh, put the kibosh on it. I yes, mean. absolutely. And now, uh, I, re- I read an article I wanted to write about, but when do I ever have time, um, how um, the um, natural gas, the, the gas that was coming through the pipeline, now the United States is supplying a major portion of that gas. It just made Europe that much more dependent on the United States. And in fact, they are bringing it through uh, in on ships, <laughs> this long way on ships, which causes an enormous amount more pollution than, you know, than what was going on with these with these pipelines. So nothing, uh, you know, whatever we are told are the reasons why things are being done or not the reasons why things are being done. They're, they're being done for profit, for greed, for you know, in this in this sort of mad push to to be the most powerful, which has always been the case in, with humanity. That this is the problem with humanity. You know, this is the root root thing uh, that that caught that the root thing that cannot seem to be fixed with the human race. 
which we have we we know the great saying you know the more the, the power corrupts and ultimate power corrupts ultimately yeah. um, why is that that's the question we should be asking why does that happen why is it that the minute that somebody gets a little bit of power they abuse it and misuse it why you know if if we could answer that question and figure out a, a, you know a way to change that maybe we could change the course of of humanity well it is a big question and the other side of it i guess is is the historical question you know do do and i you know this is a time in my life where i regret that i didn't pay more attention to to history and and military history actually when i was younger uh, it didn't feel like it was all that necessary. Now it really does, because I'm trying to figure out if what's happening, I, I feel, to use a phrase, that what's happening now is existential. I feel that we are coming to the end of something, civil, mm. civilizationally speaking. And um, and I don't know what exactly, I know there are historical paradigms, but I, I, I don't know what they are. But it all feels, I, I'm always saying fall of Rome, fall of Rome, but that's kind of maybe not that deep. But but with the the challenges to us over things that we even held dear or believed were decent or believed repre represented who we are as a people, those things are all being blown up. You had a photograph of Jill Biden I believe it was your Substack standing with the, these extreme trans things. And I'm not talking about Caitlyn Jenner, who maybe could pass from a distance. These are men, autogynophiles, in my view, in beards, wearing evening gowns. I mean, why do we have to cope with that? Like, well, I don't feel like I, I, I don't think, I mean, that's just, it's not a human right. <laughs> yeah, that that's the the last piece that I wrote, which is card, which is called "Living in Bizarro World." Yeah, and Bizarro World is taken from the comic um, DC Comics. So Bizarro World uh, is the opposite of Earth, and in fact, it's um, Earth. They 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 call it Earth, you know, backwards. It's everything's backwards. Everything's upside down. Everything, you know, good is evil. Um, and in fact, they have, you know, the number one Bizarro is, would be the worst detective in, on the planet. You know, he's like lauded as the, be as the best. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, so, so everything is, is, a, is a perversion of truth. Everything is, you know, there, you've got the truth and then you pervert it and you twist it and you, and that's what Bizarro world is. And so I, I related that to how we are now living basically in Bizarro world where everything we are, we are. Um, expected to accept the most ludicrous things as oh. with, with a straight face. Yeah. I mean, yes. yeah, yes. looking at that picture. And in fact, I even say, I mean, you don't even, I don't know, to be honest, whether that picture is even real or not. <laughs> whether it was created but yeah. it, you know it doesn't take away from the past but that's even the point of it, because we no longer even know. I have also a picture of um, Kamala Harris, you know, her, her, her a huge 
picture of her laughing face. You know, she's just laughing more and more hysterically and can't seem to stop. You know, this is the world that we live in. I have another picture of a, during COVID, a priest shooting a toy gun at, you know, in the, in the church at a baby to baptize it because he has to stand a certain distance away oh, from the no, baby. No, no, so no, he's no. actually shooting the baby with water from this toy gun. And this was, you know, accepted as just, why not? Another picture of Santa Claus, you know, with his hands behind his back being arrested, you know, for doing what Santa does on, on Christmas, which is bringing good cheer. And at the same time, Dr. Anthony Fauci goes on Sesame Street to announce proudly to the world, to children, that he's gone to the North Pole to vaccinate Santa so, oh. that, so that Santa is able to bring us all bring them all presents. I mean, this is the world that we live in now. And and not and this isn't a joke in some comic book. No. The most terrifying thing is that this is the the most powerful man in the world, the president of the United States, is the most doddering fool that that exists. And we're and people just take that as uh you know that this is normal. So so if this is the path, as you say, that we're going down, imagine um, this is the end of something. I believe that this is the end of something because in previous, you know, in all through history, yes, civilizations rose and they fell, but yeah. we can now destroy. We have the power, the potential to destroy everything. That's never been the case. We now have come to that exalted point <laughs> where we can literally destroy every ourselves not the planet the planet will survive the planet is you know would, pro would probably do a lot better without us quite frankly you know so it's it is bizarre world yeah i mean christopher rufo oh i'm going to take a break now but uh, did you see christopher rufo's little video about mental illness i think it was called cluster b or something Mm -mm. Um, it's well, it's a re you don't need to have seen it to, to talk about it. So I'll, it, it's just his the hypothesis is and I think he's right, that somehow all of these personality disorders have taken root in our society, both yours and up here. I, I don't think we're any different. And in fact, I think Canada's maybe worse than you guys are. That's why everybody's saying yeah. because right minister. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because well, of that. Telegraph yeah. Did a, yeah, I mean, the Telegraph even did a video saying that Canada is a dystopian nightmare. I mean, they actually, yeah. the, you know, the Telegraph out of the UK. Anyway, let's take a break. We'll be back in a moment. This is TNT Radio. I'm with Karen Hunt. I'm Trisha Wood. Back in a moment. You knew it was coming. You will build nothing and be happy. The UN is coming after building materials and construction. From Washington, D.C., this is the Morano Minute with your host, TNT Radio's Mark Morano. A new U.N. report sponsored with Yale Center for Ecosystems has declared massive emission cuts in the construction sector are needed by using government regulations and enforcement to achieve net zero climate goals. They want to replace concrete and steel with stone, timber, and bamboo. Yes, that's right. 
Meet the Flintstones, the modern Stone Age family, now alive and well in 2023, according to the United Nations. The UN report goes on demanding locally sourced materials in global construction. Why? The UN explains, quote, the decarbonization of the buildings and construction sector is essential for the achievement of the goal of limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Ladies and gentlemen, this is our future, only if we allow it. This is Mark Morano for the Morano Minute on TNT Radio. How hard is it to unlock your car? Not hard. How hard is it to shut your car door? Not hard. How hard is it to start your car? Not hard. How hard is it to put your seatbelt on? People are still dying in car accidents because they were not wearing a seatbelt, which is stupid because it's not that hard. Smarten up, buckle up. Think road safety. A message from the Government of South Australia. You're with Trish Wood on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hi, everybody. You're back. This is Trish Wood, and I am with the magnificent Karen Hunt, and we're just talking about all of it because it is one of those time periods in the history of this show where there's so much going on. Some things are so bizarre. They actually are inexplicable, and we're discussing inexplicable things, trying to explicate them, I guess. Um, and w- one of the things you were talking about is this idea. There was You talked about a picture of um, Jill Biden. It's in your Bizarro World uh, substack that's so terrific. We, it, this is why I feel like they're all coordinating it. I know that's insane, but we had exactly the same picture in Toronto. It was one of our city councillors. I think her name is Kristen Wong-Tam on some passing some new bylaw protecting trans people and gay people from being like you can't be within six feet of them if you're protesting or some something like that and uh she's surrounded by not like again if caitlin jenner is sort of you know the kind of normal one she's surrounded by extreme drag queeny fetishistic bizarro looking human beings and i i wonder if the more extreme the appearance the more virtue the politician thinks they are are gonna get out of it the more loved they will be for being with these these people who really you know i mean drag queens are fine i used to go see them at one in the morning after a night out but out of context they're not fine and that should be their context right so i mean do you think that that, that the, the the extremeness of it is part of the play? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that that has to be that has to be the case. Or why would they do it? It's a sort of a desensitizing effect on people. Uh, if they just made it a normal thing, you know, you had normal looking people. Uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't have the effect obviously that that it that it does um, I think there are plenty of drag queens that are horrified by what's happening by the way that they are being yeah. perceived by you know this is not they didn't sign on for any of this you know they and it and uh, so you know the, the, these people are are handpicked especially handpicked to do this Um I have another thing in my in my uh, in that piece on bizarre living in bizarre world, I talk about the influencers on social media who are starving themselves to death 
on social media. They have millions of followers watching them literally starve themselves to death on on camera. You know, they they and they and one um, one influencer. Her name, I, I can't recall her name. She has a Russian sounding name. Um, she, her mother takes pictures of her in all of these sort of like Barbie-esque type clothing and she's completely emaciated and she, and there's thousands upon thousands of comments. Oh, take care of yourself, dear. You know, oh, how could your mother do this to you? But on and on and on. It's disturbing because people somehow are getting the impression that if they respond, if they see something like that and they respond to it, they've somehow also alleviated their, their, their own, their own responsibilities about anything in their own lives, you know? So you can go on social media, you can watch these horrific things and see something also, something as bizarre and strange as, you know, a politician standing with these, with, with these people. And, um, and you also must accept it. You know, so how far will the public go with accepting these types of things and and somehow allevi alleviating themselves of any type of responsibility because there's so much out there. So I think this is the, you know, this is the this is what's going on that that you know, and, and it all happens in this bizarre world that they don't have to think of as being real. You know, it's it's not the it's this isn't real to them. Nothing is real. Horrific things can happen in Ukraine. It wouldn't matter what you know what it it, it doesn't matter what's really happening there because it's all sort of in this in this um, make believe world now. You know that that they've come. To, but the minute that that comes to hit their own lives, it will be interesting to see. That's when everything will start falling apart. I think. It, it's interesting, uh, just getting back to what we talked about a little bit before the break, which is this piece that Christopher Rufo has put together. It's a little documentary. You can find it anywhere. He's posting it everywhere. Um, called Cluster B. And it's about how these personality disorders that are kind of oddly interconnected seem to have taken root in a vast swath of the population. The, obviously, narcissism, but borderline personality disorder, all of these other things that may be affecting people. I know that uh, Matthias Desmet wrote, you know, a couple of years ago, he wrote this book on uh, mass formation psychosis, which worked as a bit of an explanation for why some people became extremely uh, neurotically COVIDian. But I, I, I say this only to say that when I read those things, I'm not sure Chris Rufo's got it exactly right. But, the, but mental illness is taking root in the population right now. I can absolutely feel it, and I'll tell you where I see it. Do you watch the uh, Billboard Chris videos at all? Uh, no, I don't. Okay, so... You know, the things I don't, you're giving me some good information here. Okay, so Billboard Chris is a Canadian man who was motivated by the attacks on J.K. Rowling after she stood up for women against having trans people in female spaces. And they remember they went after her and everybody was dropped, or published her, everybody dropped her. He took out some billboards saying, I stand with J.K. Rowling. Then that morphed into a campaign that he has going now and has gone on for two years. And it's, it's really extraordinary. You should write about it because you'd mm -hmm. say smart things about it. Um, 
he he goes to various places and he stands outside of hospitals or or academic places where they're heavily into trans extremism with a billboard on that says children cannot consent to puberty blockers right it's, it covers his whole body he's always got a camera there and he records these conversations with people so two years ago when he first started and was getting beaten up by antifa in montreal and things terrible things were happening in two years that's really changed and he's really now having deep conversations with people people support him and those are being recorded but the other thing that's been recorded for two years are the captured people who cannot make a cogent argument for why they believe in this trans extremism in schools they don't have an argument it usually reverts to if we don't do it they'll commit suicide which there's no data to support that's garbage once you knock that away from them once you bat that there's nothing they really can say they kind of glaze over and they re, they kind of revert to you know f you and you're the, what the antifa people say like you're a fascist you're a nazi rah, rah, rah. their eyes glaze over mm-hmm. so and i'm like you like i'm i'm pretty humanistic so i'm wondering why are they like that why are they defending the indefensible and getting angry even in service of something that's indefensible what's going on and for me it does bespeak a kind of a mental illness there's something going on with these people so your homework karen is to go to (laughs) chris's twitter feed and you can watch he posts all these conversations go back a couple years it's a very you could do a book it's almost like an anthropological dig of this issue for two years both sides okay i will definitely do that that sounds amazing um what what i call it i know i wrote a piece um oh how long ago was it i'm looking here on september 3rd 2021 called utopian madness and one of my favorite authors used merlu this rape his book the rape rape of the mind and he talks about not so much this mass psychosis. I, I I talked about that as well in that piece long before anybody else was talking about it, mind you. But yeah. I, I talked about menticide, and he talks I about. I remember men- this piece of yours. Yeah. It was it was fundamental for me, and thank you for writing it. Keep yeah, going. yeah. So I just want to maybe you know remind people because every so often I quote him again in my pieces because I don't want people to forget about this. But I, I'm just going to quote from from him. I'll just read: "Menticide is an old crime against the human mind and." spirit but systematized anew it is an organized system of psychological intervention and judicial perversion through which a ruling class can imprint their own opportunistic thoughts upon the minds of those they plan to destroy so they create waves and waves of terror each wave of terrorizing creates its effects more easily after a breathing spell it's sort of like an if if you're in an abusive relationship where the person abuses you for doing something wrong and then they reward you and they say okay now we're going to do better right and they give you a moment of peace and you think oh everything's going to be better but then the one that preceded it 
because people are still disturbed by their previous experience. Morality becomes lower and lower, and the psychological effects of each new propaganda campaign become stronger. It reaches a public already softened up. Logic can be met with logic, but illogic cannot. It confuses those who think straight. The big lie and monotonously repeated nonsense have more emotional appeal than logic and reason. While the people are still searching for a reasonable counter-argument to the first lie, the totalitarians can assault them with another. And this is what's going on. So before people can process what happened the first time, they're hit with something else. And yeah. so they become an enable, they, they become, un, I'm sorry, unable to think on any deeper level than trying to deal with the next assault. And I think that's why people just start repeating mindlessly these sort of sound bites that, that they hear. There's a, a really interesting bit that he did. Well, there's two interesting things he did. I, I actually should have him on TNT one day. I know we'd do it. Um, there's one where he is speaking to, it's an event at a church or something that's gone all kind of trans positive and 98 flags flying and in a quite affluent neighborhood uh, with, a, I guess, parishioners who are mostly white women, some, you know, like over the age of 40. Um, and they're all in. Mm -hmm. um, and, and yet when Chris wants to talk to them about why they believe, well, first of all, what is it they actually believe? And do they believe in puberty blockers for young children? Do they believe in surgeries for children? Do they believe in double mastectomies for 15-year-olds and six? I mean, do they believe in, in so-called gender-affirming care, which it means you cannot challenge a child's declaration, no matter how weak or bizarre, you have to affirm them. Or it's in, in Canada, it's criminal to argue, yeah. to investigate. I mean, I can imagine that. <laughs> History, this is like lobotomies. History is not going to be kind to these people. But just getting back, so, so it's an interesting scene because Chris is very personal. He shows up in a suit. You know, he looks like he could be kind of a banker or something. He's totally non-threatening. I mean that bankers are non-threatening, but you know what I mean. <laughs> um, yeah, well, wait and, a minute. <laughs> yeah, wait a minute, yeah. Um, and so he, he tried to engage them in conversation, and they would not do it. And, and not only would they not, they, they weren't like refusing to do it, they couldn't do it. You can see that they were desperately confused about why this nice man was challenging something they were doing that they thought was civic-minded. They thought that if you're a nice person living in this day and age, that the issue that you should go out and protest for is that little addition to the gay flag there. But I don't think they fully understand what they're protesting. And I don't think, I don't think it matters, right? It's just, it's so tribal right now hmm. that they, they're out there cheering for something that I'm sure if you showed them a photograph of a 16 year old with no breasts and those awful scars, they would be like, what, you know? So, so yeah. And so, and then the other the other one that he has that you can go back and review is he's in Victoria, which oddly stayed old Victoria, BC. You know, it's like old England mm -hmm. is a hotbed of trans extremism, oddly. Um, and he was there at a demo 
and he never argues in a mean way or he's not aggressive or anything and he was attacked by the trans i believe autogynophile people the men who are like 45 in pink dresses they don't even try they haven't done anything to feminize themselves they're just wearing women's clothes like it's really weird um and they're the ones who carry the kill all turfs or you know all that kind of violent stuff and they attack him um then they just attack him and it's all caught on video and you can see how the police there are not even um well actually the female police officer thought it was funny she was laughing about it so it just feels like those videos really capture capture the moment that we're in right now and he i suspect he will become a bit of an historical figure when all is mm. when this is all writ you know in the end the the really disturbing thing about it is that what we're not talking about are uh, the influence that this is having on children you know what they are yeah. being taught in schools the brainwashing that they are going through so i've talked to some kids about that they truly believe i think there's an article that says something like 80 percent of kids truly believe that you know they should support this you know yeah yeah and um and that's the real because we'll be gone one day but you have to think about what what's happening with the next generations and the brainwashing they've been brainwashed since the beginning you know well let's pick that up you're an old hand you know what the music means so we're going to go to news at the top of the hour and then i'll be back with uh, karen hunt this is tnt radio back soon (laughs) 